but yeah, like Russ said, last, we're doing a series at the moment, um, trying to equip us to catch God's heart uh, for some of the hard things that happen amongst us and out in the community and in our own lives as well. Um, and last week we talked about God's heart for the grieving, which are those things that just happen um, and how we deal with that. And I do encourage you to listen to that podcast because it was long. <laughs> so I can't recap it today or um, things will go badly for you. Um, but today uh, we want to talk about God's heart for the overwhelmed. Uh, so seasons that we have um, where things aren't just quite right aren't going the way we feel like they should um, or with the health and the well-being that we wish that we had. Um, So first thing I'm going to do is I'm just going to talk about what God's intent for us is, what his father heart for us is. And then I'm going to hand over um, to someone who knows far more than me. (laughs) And as you know, um, in Redemption Hills, um, none of us have to be perfect or experts because we're the priesthood. So where there's a lack (laughs) in my knowledge and my life experience, I'm going to hand over to someone who has a lot more. So Rob's going to come in a second, tell us a little bit about that, and then I'm going to finish up um, with something that Jesus did, which will help us out. Um, So I just want to start with how God made us. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I don't like that language. But it's good that we have dominion over creeping things. (laughs) So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So when we hear the beginning and how God made us, we hear two things. God's intent for mankind is one that we are born into relationship. We are relational. So he said, let us make mankind in our image. God is relational. He exists in three parts together as one. And we were meant to exist in family, in connection, in community, in society. All of those layers of being connected to each other. So we are made for relationship but we're also made for rulership. So we were made to steward this earth, uh, to make stuff, to be creative, to be productive, to have ideas and contribute to that group of people who are living out on this earth. So we were made for relationship and we were made for rulership. But there are times where we have seasons where we are overwhelmed in to the point that it affects one or more of those intents for God for us. So we can have seasons in our life where our relation ability to have relationships is really affected. Um, And we can have seasons in our life where our ability to contribute the way that we're made to and the way that we want to can be really affected. And when those things are not as they should be, um, we feel this desire to be healthy and to contribute and to be better than things are. And sometimes that can put a lot of pressure on us. Um, So keep those two things in mind, what God has in mind for us at the beginning, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about the struggle that is uh, to feel that those things are not quite right. But Rob's going to come up now. Are you ready? 
He didn't really know when I was going to say that, so it's a bit of a surprise. Lucky he's easygoing. <laughs> Thanks very much. Um, so what I'd like to share with everyone is some um, just general perspectives on mental health as, as part of what Kate's sharing. Um, April this year, Roscoe Hollyoak, 34, from Perth, Western Australia, was in America and he suddenly went over and picked up a two-year-old and went to take this little boy away. And the mum was putting a phone away and noticed and grabbed the little boy and there was this tug of war. And, and so Roscoe let the, the little boy go and ran away but he was caught and he's potentially possibly facing eight years in jail. And his family and friends said, this is just totally out of character. It's like the result of some sort of break of, of mental disengagement from reality. And, and I thought that was a, a really powerful example of, of how mental illness can be. Um, I'm reading a book at the moment lent, me, lent to me by a friend who has schizophrenia. And this friend is, is a great guy. I learn lots from him. And he was given the book by another friend, who Ned, who ran a group for guys. And, and it was when he rang me and said, did I want to help? I, I chose not to because I was so busy at that time with work. But he said, I'm, I'm dealing with guys who struggle with alcohol, struggle with drugs, struggle with depression. And, and this is their last call of life. The next step probably is suicide. And, and it was so beautiful that Ned ran this group and he's been supporting this other friend. And, and as I started to read this book and just have a look at it, it's by a psychiatrist, um, Dr Timothy Jenkins from Tennessee. And as he was doing his register, registrar training in psychiatry, for every hour, he said for every hour that he learnt something in psychiatry, he spent two hours reading the Bible to see what God had to say on the topic. So I thought, gee, I'm going to read this book. This is serious, good stuff. And he starts off describing the brain like a computer. And he says, it's like the hardware is the brain itself, the anatomy, um, the, the, the physical part of the brain, the neurons. And um, they interact. But a computer just sits there if it doesn't have software. And the software is what we learn, what we grow up with, the values, um, what we, we learn, what we, how we think, how we feel. Um, and the amazing thing about the brain is... In the studies they've been doing more recently, they can see that the software can change the hardware. The, the actual brain is very plastic in a way. It can be changed the way it works, the way it, even anatomically, by the way we think and the way we feel and what we experience. And the third part is the power supply. You need that for it to work. And he describes that as the blood, the nutrition, and it takes away the waste products as well. So all those three parts can come unstuck in life, whether it's a computer, <laughs> If you keep changing your computer system, you know what it's like. At work, I used to think, well, this is about a month's worth of waste of time every time we change the computer system. And I think our brains can sometimes function like that. It can give serious problems in how we behave, how we feel, and in those things Kate talked about in relationship. Um, it brings dis-ease. I often think we, we've learnt words that we've lost the meaning of, but disease is dis-ease and um, serious problems for us. One in five people in Australia are said to suffer with some form of mental illness that affects the way we live significantly, and that's worsening. Um, so just a, a quick background on what types of um, common types of mental illness. Um, we're all mentally ill, sorry about that. <laughs> we all suffer from neurosis, and neurosis is basically defined as anxiety, panic, obsession. We, we all have some of those. And depression is the other common one. 
Um, depression can be mild or severe and can move into really serious things. Um, first one is suicide. I can remember learning you know, early in my career that depression is a very dangerous thing if it becomes severe. It's life-threatening because of suicide. And it can move into psychosis, which is total loss of um, contact with reality as well. And psychosis itself is that, loss of touch with reality. And the two common types we see are schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, which is hypomania. And hypomania switches from being way up there to way down there. The danger in hypomania, um, if you know anyone with that, is that people who struggle with that um, can suddenly go out and buy a boat, come home and say to their wives, I've just bought a $160,000 yacht. We're off. We're going around the world. Never sailed in their life. But they've, they've signed up and, and they're about to go um, and can make disastrous decisions very quickly. Um, one, one of the things that I love the way God um, shares with us in the Bible is the honesty. Um, reading through Psalms and David, who, beautiful relationship with God, a man after God's own heart. I was reading some bits and I thought, gee, David's really depressed. <laughs> if he came into the surgery, I'd, I'd say to him, you've got a real problem. And God was okay with that being in the Psalms. We, we don't seem to sing those Psalms. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, we leave those out, <laughs> which is interesting because sometimes in grief, maybe we, we're singing them. Um, and, and I love the way God was very open about that and thought that needs to be in the Bible. And yet he had a beautiful relationship with God, a man after God's own heart. Um, the other area just to mention, which is not classed as a mental illness, is dementia. And I mention it because it's going to be more and more common. It is. Um, and two things about it that really catch us out. One is it's often a gradual process. And as our, the people we love and are close to change, we don't recognise it. Everyone else starts to recognise it, but we don't. We think they're just being naughty or misbehaving or becoming more selfish. And the other one is it's very variable. I've known people with dementia to have really astute thinking over here, but no thinking over here. And you think, well, if they can think that, they're making it up over here. But it's not necessarily true. So just to be aware of that. Um, and it presents in times, in seasons, as Kate said, of wellness and unwellness. And the things that affect that, particularly the deterioration times, can be stress, age, uh, lack of sleep, lack poor nutrition, drugs, both prescribed and recreational, uh, physical illness, various hormones, not just female hormones, but various hormones, thyroid, things like that. Um, I remember one of my patients being on steroids, um, had to be for an illness. And I remember going into the psychiatric ward and he said, you know, the, the walls are all bugged. You've got to be careful what you say. And this all came from being on steroids. Otherwise, he, he would not have had that illness. Um, one of the scary things in doing medicine is I see little bits of everything in myself. <laughs> and, and fortunately, some things aren't so bad, I think, but it's, it's quite scary at times. And, and I think that's because we're all broken. Um, most of us are affected by mental illness at some time. Nearly all of us in life will have something that affects us, usually neurosis, fortunately, and, and that really can affect our lives to a smaller degree. I worked with um, a doctor who was a missionary in Africa and he told me the story early in my career about another missionary in Africa who, who was um, in a group of African Christians and he saw a guy over there behaving quite bizarrely and he said to the, the African Christians, oh, I guess he must be demon-possessed. And the African Christian said, no, 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 he's, he's just ill. 
He's just got a mental illness. That guy over there's demon possessed, but that one's just mentally ill. And, and I don't have that sort of discernment generally. Um, though I have seen some situations where I think probably have seen something of that nature, both obviously both sides of things. But God knows. And I love the fact that God knows the diagnosis. Part of my um, care was watching that I didn't just treat symptoms, that I was treating a diagnosis because they got right in underneath and God knows what the diagnosis is. He's the source of healing. He knows what to do in the situation. And what does he do? Sometimes he does miracles. You know, lots of us have seen beautiful miracles. Um, I've just experienced a beautiful one in my own life. Um, healing, he sometimes does that. But at other times, it's medication support. He's provided that as well. And I think it's important to be aware of what God's doing. And support means that as community, we all need to contribute into that. So we need to hear and obey what God's doing and do it with him. We don't do it for him, we do it with him. Everybody has something to contribute. Um, I think of two friends. One um, was a patient with bipolar disorder and we were working with kids at Rochelle. We had a, a kids group, an, an amazing group. We met in homes of their homes. Parents weren't Christians, but they allowed us to run this, these clubs in various homes. And, and this, this lady, this young lady, had some great ideas, but none of them would work. They were hopeless if she tried to put them in action. I couldn't come up with any ideas, but I could make her ideas work. And together we were a team. She came up with the ideas that I couldn't come up with. I made them work that she couldn't achieve that and together it worked beautifully. Um, I've got a friend, Bruce. Bruce got, has got bipolar disorder um, and now lives in Hobart and every now and again he's off the radar. He may have been in hospital or I just can't contact him but then he's back again. Um, he's one of the most creative people that I know and the most discipling person I've ever known. He rings me about once a month and says, Rob, how are you going? <laughs> and chases me up and he has so much to contribute um, but he needed support around him. There's a group of friends up here who we, we know Bruce is coming <laughs> and we know he's gone but it's, it's, it's great the, the, the relationships but it can be hard work. We're called to support and help equip people to grow and become more of who God wants them and has called them to be. That's part of our role. So how can we be part of that? Um, I think we need a, a strong community response to support each other. Um, this friend who helped at Rochelle goes to another church and um, talking to the pastors there and they said it short and, and quite lovingly said it sure takes a group of us to look after her and, and that was really beautiful that they do it, it, it was too overwhelming for one person to do that so sometimes it's a group to care for one person um, relationships are especially hard at times um, particularly with bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, if people come unstuck and have a, a season of unwellness, it can be really tough on relationships. I remember taking another friend who's got schizophrenia, taking him along to church and I said, do you think we should go back home? Because <laughs> he was so angry with me and he was swearing at me and really angry because um, I wasn't sort of fitting in with what he was wanting. And, and, and we made it and we got there and we got home safely and but it can be really tough at time times um, and sometimes I've had to ask and I've learnt this um, at times particularly at work was is this my problem or their problem and we did parent effective training and it was a good question that came up whose problem is this and I thought no this time I think it's their problem I'm okay 
I don't think there's anything God's dealing with me with. I think I just need to love, be patient. The fruit of the Spirit has to work really hard at the moment. Um, or sometimes it is my problem. I'm being impatient or too high an expectation or being unfair on them. Um, so support when struggling. Love, keep loving, keep respecting. I'm learning that. Lots of patience. Holy Spirit, keep working that in me. And honesty. I remember having an argument once with, a gentle argument, but with um, the dementia team about a patient. They said, oh, just just lie, just tell them this. And, and I said, no, I don't think I can. I, I think um, even though, sure, they're confused at the moment um, and it solved the, the momentary problem, it won't solve our relationship. It'll interfere with that. So I've tried to keep that honesty and tried to build trust. I remember I had a couple of people that we got to the stage where if I said, I think you need to be in hospital, they really couldn't see it. They didn't didn't want to, they were angry about it, but they'd learnt that if, if I said it, I think it was time to go and they would go. And, and it was beautiful to build that sort of relationship. So trust is really important. Medication can be really important, especially in psychosis. Um, often people want to come off their medication and need discouragement for that. Um, I, I'm not saying I've got the perfect answer, I don't think I have. But I, I decided what I would work with is if, if God was healing, then they were becoming better. And if, as they came better and didn't seem to need their medication, I could try and drop it gently. A couple of times I was caught out by that and they weren't getting better. The medication was just working really well um, and they had to go back on the medication. But I thought, yeah, I think I just need to know um, if they're doing well, they won't need their medication. But, but that's not to say that's necessarily right. So if unwell, my suggestions are keep supporting each other, keep supporting people in prayer um, generally. Encourage people to see their doctor because it may be a medication issue. Um, and if we lose touch, if they get to a certain point, it's very hard to have a relationship and to communicate anymore. And at times I was very happy if people would tell me and ring and say, so-and-so is unwell, I think they need help. I didn't mind if people rang me about patients. Some people feel um, that's intruding, but I think just to... Um, yeah, I can't necessarily pass information back, but I could at least... Be, know that the person's struggling and, and respond to that. Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good for those who love God. A lot of us know those verses. Um, I decided, so what's the context? Where does that fit? It's written in the context of a struggle. Creation's groaning and it's about our weakness. Verse 26 says, The Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. That's the context of Romans 8.28. I think that's beautiful. God does not define us by our brokenness. He's created us in his own image. Rob and I did talk about this over the past few weeks, but the, we've stolen each other's actual phrases and actual words. So that's a good sign, right, that God's in what we're talking about today. Thanks, Rob. We really appreciate it. And we appreciate the heart of humility. Can you feel it? Um, and love that goes with supporting each other. So I just want to remind you something that we talked about last week, Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So we talked about Jesus being the exact representation and revelation of God's heart. So if we look at how Jesus interacted with people, we should see how God thinks about things and how God thinks about people. 
Um, and I just thought about this thing that Jesus said. These are his words. John 10, verse 9 and 10. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. That he's talking about peace. The thief does not come except to steal, kill and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. So this idea that the things that we were made for, God's intent for relationship and for rulership, um, can be kind of sabotaged at times um, because there is someone set up against God, our enemy, who would like us to not have good relationships and not be able to function as God wants us to and to not have relationship with him. So there's elements of our life that comes in um, that is destructive. There's a destructive element to things um, that squashes the joy and squashes the potential that God's given us. Um, but Jesus himself said, but I have come, that there would be life and life in abundance. And as I was praying about today and when I got up this morning, I just felt this overwhelming sense of what God wants to remind us of today is hope, that hope is alive and well. And even the songs that Joe picked, which were actually all of my favourites, very strange that that should happen, um, only God, that idea that the resurrecting king is resurrecting us. Okay, the power of the resurrection is in us at a deep core level. Um, and because of that, there is always hope, always hope. So last week we looked at what Jesus looked like in times of loss when he faced the reality of one of his own friends um, passing away and how he dealt with that um, and how he felt it in his body and his emotions. Um, but he also had that reality of what was actually happening with the reality of knowing the power of God can do all things. So we can have both of those things. And um, at the Body and Soul Festival, one of our um, Melbourne team people, um, she had a set of babushka dolls and she was explaining to people, you know, how complex we are as humans. We, God has created us with these layers. We have a body on the outside. Uh, and then at a deeper level, we have a soul, which is our mind, will and emotions. Uh, and then at a deeper level than that, we have our spiritual reality. So in Genesis where it says we were made in God's image... We were made with a spiritual level, a spiritual element to who we are. And while the babushka dolls is a great illustration, um, and we borrow that all the time, I used it, after, the week after I heard it, I used it with some of the kids at work and it really helped them. But also, we need to understand that all of those domains are integrated. And they're not little separate going inwards and outwards kind of layers to us. You know, cakes have layers. Ogres have layers, quoting with Shrek. But all of those things affects one and the other. So I talked about what I'm like when I'm hangry. Okay, that's my body affecting my soul. <laughs> okay. Hungry Kate is angry Kate. And angry Kate can be slightly disturbing. <laughs> Don't let me get to that level. <laughs> um, and the things can affect us at any one of those levels... Um, all those parts of us, and it will affect the other parts of us. Um, and our animal kingdom, our friends, they have a soul and a body. So they have emotions, you know, they can be lonely and hungry and all those things. Um, but they act on instinct that God has given them. They don't have the made in God's image part that humanity has. And that spiritual level that we have is intended to have connection with God's spirit. That's, that's what spiritual is. It's connection with the transcendent, 
connection with God, back in relationship with him and operating in his purposes and in partnership with him. Um, So any one of those levels can be affected and affect the others. Um, But that is good news. But I love what Rob said about the Psalms and how God's not offended by any of our struggles. It says in Psalm 43, 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you so disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So we can be disquieted, disquieted, that's a hard word for me to say, on a soul level, can't we? Our emotions, our circumstance, we can be stressed at work, we can have those things affecting us, we can be biologically out of balance, like Rob said, with our hormones or our chemicals, but at the same time we can still hope in God, our help and we can still praise him. So one domain can be struggling and affect the others, but at the same time, that's good news because the spiritual domain is the rock on which we stand. The spirit of God never changes. He's the unchanging, everlasting God. All power is his. And because of that, our spiritual domain can start to affect our other domains when we are struggling. And that's the words that I used last week called the precious mess. <laughs> okay, God is at work, but it's still messy and it's still reality. And I reminded us last week too that no one is an expert on anyone else. Um, and sometimes when I'm working with some of the kids around Launceston, someone suggests that they come to see me at the Inside Out for Kids program that I work at um, because they've lost a grandparent or they have a bereavement and they're really struggling. Um, So they'll come along and we'll talk about some feelings and we'll do some activities and stuff and then actually I find out that what they want to talk about is not their bereavement. What they want to talk about is their own family and a separation that happened years ago. So what we think sometimes someone needs is totally different to the story that they're living. And sometimes we've had a difficult relationship in the church with concepts of mental illness and how to help people who um, are struggling and how to be when we're not coping. And we talk a little bit in our church sometimes about the wings of the aeroplane. We say, oh, which wing would you like to do without? (laughs) Which one do you want to keep? Which one do you want to do without? Um, And it can be a little bit the same when we're talking about health and well-being and getting better. We have our supernatural wing um, and we have all the other stuff as well. And those two things are made by God to be working together in this life. Maybe not in heaven. (laughs) We'll be released from some of this wing. Um, But for the moment, those two wings are there. And sometimes as Christians, we can want to focus on the word and the facts. And because of that, we can de-emphasize the spiritual domain and its effect on us. And so we'll emphasize the physical domain. Yeah, we'll, we'll want people to get good sleep and they should eat less sugar. And, they, <laughs> you know, they should have these um, special whiz-bang vitamin tablets that cost lots of money and things like that. And chocolate. Yeah, we'll give them some chocolate, a quiet night in, watch some TV. You'll feel better. Yeah. Um, but also we can go the other extreme where it's all demonic. Um, And that can be really hard for people if it's not all demonic and they actually need to be propped up on the other side with some physical, emotional things. 
So we can do a lot of damage to each other when we set ourselves up as experts on other people. <laughs> I know what you need. <laughs> or because I follow Jesus and I know he wants to help you, I'm going to pretend I know what you need because that's what God would want me to do. <laughs> and the Bible normalises seasons of being overwhelmed. Like David, we've mentioned, Job, Elisha, they're all in there. Um, and it can be a spiritual domain the presence of the demonic, because we have that really great story of Jesus coming in. They even call him the demon-possessed man because he'd lost his identity so much he couldn't function in society. He was outcast to wander around because he couldn't be restrained. So he was having episodes of violence and self-harm um, and he couldn't connect with people anymore. Um, and with a word, Jesus set him free. The New Testament says he was sitting down in his right mind and people were amazed. That quickly he was set free. But it can also be the soul domain. So an emotional response to difficult circumstances or stress can trigger us off. And it can be the physical domain, so the hormonal chemical side effects of other medications, things like that, or any combination of those things working together. And when you hear that, you're like, wow, this is really complex. People are really complex. Um, so we don't want to set ourselves up to be experts on anyone else. And um, I learnt this thing recently and I found it really helpful. And I might be treading on toes. I hope not. Um, but the word empathy is very popular at the moment, isn't it? We want to be empathetic to each other in community. But empathy is a very new word, like 1920s new. Um, and they actually borrowed it from the art world. It means to feel in, to so identify with someone's piece of work that you feel like you're standing in the middle of it. Um, the word that the Bible uses, the word Jesus used, is compassion, which means to feel with. Um, and the difference there is something that I think can keep us in good stead as a group of people and as friends of people who are struggling is that if we are told that we should have empathy and feel in someone else's struggles, it can be overwhelming. Right? We can step into their lives so much that we're feeling their pain as if it's our own. We can't do any better than how Jesus set it up for us. He says compassion is okay. It's, it's good to feel with. We can be thoughtful. Uh, we can want the best for people. We can see them the way that God sees them without carrying the weight of another person's life and burden. Everybody gets to be responsible for themselves in God's kingdom. And this popular narrative we have where we have to empathise with people so much that we understand their struggles so much uh, can make us feel like because of that we're able to fix it. Uh, and it puts this weight on us. But God knows. So friendship is not absorbing somebody else's story to that point. It's listening. It's compassion. It's like, oh, my heart's going out with you and for you. But that's different to imagining their story like a little movie playing in your head as if you're in it. God never asked us to do that. And I think that concept, that saying if we're empathetic with people, will understand everything about them, can actually make us a little bit prideful about how to help. 
um, and it can be a cause to burn out as well in being someone's friend long term. So we have to trust that God made us with skin for a reason. <laughs> so here's my skin because this is me. <laughs> That's Steve. He's different to me. God's intention for us is that we are separate from one another because we all have value. We all have our individual differences and he could have made us blobs that intermingle, but he did not. He made us different and individual and we have to honour that. And if we empathise with each other so much, we can lose our sense of self and God's intention for our story. Right, so that is a bit of a trick of empathy and that's a little aside. When I prayed about today, um, I just wanted to ask God, what's the main thing? And this is the one thing that <laughs> I'm going to share today. Um, I just felt God say, just tell them that I know what I'm doing. <laughs> really. Um, because of some of the complexities um, and some of the long roads that recovery can be. Um, but this is the story I thought of, Mark 2. Verses 1 to 12. And again he entered Capernaum after some days and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. And then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you not what you're expecting him to say and some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts why does this man speak blasphemies like this who can forgive sins but God alone immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves he said to them why do you reason about these things in your heart which is easier to say to the paralytic your sins are forgiven or to say arise take up your bed and walk but that you may know the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up his bed and went out in the presence of all of them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. So this guy had friends who couldn't fix it. They didn't know, but they knew a guy. Now, if you have someone who's a paralytic, you think their needs are obvious, don't you? You think you know what they need. And the first thing that Jesus said is not the physical need. The first thing Jesus saw was the spiritual need. Um, but just to prove that he had dominion over all of the aspects of who we are, <laughs> after he healed the spiritual domain, he went on to heal the physical domain. He healed both. He's the creator and the king and there's no domain of who we are and areas that we're struggling in that he can't reach. But we have to trust that he knows which domain the, our wounds are the deepest and which area that we need healing in first to have wholeness and health. And we have to trust that he knows that for our friends and family as well. So when we're walking alongside each other, we need the Holy Spirit. We need to be in prayer. There is no other way for us to know how to be friends with each other and what each other needs without the Holy Spirit. And you think about your life and how different your journey might have been, or it was, because of the presence of friends who had the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine? That those prayers, those words in season, the, the right order of healing that God wanted to bring. That's a society I want to be part of. You know, that's a church I want to be part of. 
um, that we let Jesus be Jesus because he knows what he's doing. (laughs) And we kind of just partner with him and get out of the way. Our job is to hear the Holy Spirit and to pray and to love with compassion. He is the source. Like Rob said, he stole all the words, which is good. But what does this look like with legs on? Um, We will encourage the use of all the godly resources that we have. Okay, they had four friends. They had a friendship group and they had a stretcher. And that's what they used. And we are so blessed in this nation of the resources that we have to help people and to help each other. And we do thank God that no matter what government got put in over this weekend, both of them agreed to increase mental health resources, especially in rural Australia. So we have things that we can use to help each other. And we have humility for each other's stories. Some really great questions that we can use is what's going on for you? Or what's it like been like for you this week? How are you travelling? And a really, really great question that we might need to ask at times is, are you safe? If someone's not safe and they're not feeling safe with themselves, uh, that's one of those times that Rob says that, um, you know, perhaps we need to pick up a stretcher and get them to someone who knows. The third thing that we could do as a church is to remove all the shame from this equation. Yes, shame is a deep sense, not just that something is not going right, but shame is the extra layer that it's because there's something wrong with you, that you're defective in some way. Um, And there can be a lot of shame around mental illness. And Russ talked a few weeks ago about talking about people in the reality of how God sees them, the hope of redemption, okay? It's not going to be like this forever. And if not in this life, definitely not in the life to come. Not defective if there's a season of being overwhelmed in life. Lots of people experience it, especially the longer that you live. (laughs) But when the shame is gone, we can get rid of the weird code words that we use. All right? So, (laughs) you know, someone's tired. Or, you know, they've just been working a lot. Or um, overwhelmed is one that we use. I chose to use it today. Sometimes it helps us to ease into talking about things a bit easier. But we're not going to use them for shame reasons. Okay, we're going to use the words depression, anxiety, bipolar, schizophrenia. We can use them. It's helpful to take the shame layer off because then there can be some honesty. But above all, we hope and pray for a full recovery and return to relationship and rulership with this life abundant that God talked about. Sometimes we're going to have to be patient and sometimes seasons last longer than we expect or hope. Uh, I've had different friends. One of them um, felt in worship one time that he was instantly and completely healed, and he was. And he was able to go off his medication with no effect. That was healing. Um, I've had other friends who continue to take theirs, have had seasons of hospitalisations over years and did the hard work and the hard yards to be healed, and they live healed, which is amazing. But two very different journeys, both healed. Um, And I just want to tell you this story because it happened at my salon. 
and Russ can't tell these stories. <laughs> so this is a bonus. This is the only story you're going to get where someone is, you know, wiping hot wax off you and ripping it off. You don't get those stories from Russ. <laughs> so my beauty therapist and I were having a chat about what I do um, and she just suddenly went quiet. She said, you know, there's things in my childhood and she started to tell me her story of some of the things that had happened to her when she was young. She said, you know, sometimes I think that maybe that's the reason that I have anxiety right now. She said, I, I take medication. She said, I've just come to accept the fact that I'm going to live with this. And I was really encouraged. I was just able to say to her, you know what? People recover from this all the time. Maybe not today. Maybe not there's a one-time tablet that you can take to make you better tomorrow. But over time, people get healed. They recover. Our brains are hardwired to change with growth. And they can and they do. Uh, not just with the hard work on the emotional and the biological level, but because the living spirit of God is one of those domains that we have and it starts to permeate through the other domains of who we are, especially with open hearts that want healing and are willing for healing. And that's the group of people that we want to be. We need to lean on Jesus because he knows. We don't. We want to be the kinds of friends who do friendship with the power of the Holy Spirit because we need to. We don't know. And we want to be the kind of group of people that always has hope for recovery, no matter how long it takes. And that we have patience while we're waiting. Uh, when text messages aren't re returned, uh, when times and, and places and early mornings aren't possible, we're going to be patient in that and trust that over time the Spirit of God rises up with the life of God and changes those things. So I hope that's helpful because this series is about equipping us to be better friends and to be a better group of people and to see healing, widespread healing in our city because uh, it's really needed. It's really needed. Um, not just for those of us who are grown-ups now, <laughs> but for the little ones who are coming after us, um, who are feeling the effects of some of these things.